You're listening to Chewing the Fat On Demand. Welcome to Chewing the Fat with yours truly, Jeff Fisher. Thank you so much for coming along for the ride today. You know, you know we are smack dab in the middle of the Thanksgiving holiday wannabe. We're getting close to Thanksgiving. People have already started to travel. It's like the it's gonna Thanksgiving is always the busiest travel weekend of of ever. For, of ever. That's a quote. Busiest travel weekend of ever. Now they claim. That uh, this year, that Americans will fly between November 16th and the 27th, exceeding 28.5 million who flew in 2017. So it's going to be busier than 2017. Now they're claiming Thanksgiving Day, obviously, is the slowest day. And then Sunday will be the busiest. I don't know if you've ever flown on Thanksgiving weekend, but it is a pain. I've been stuck in, I can tell you a great story of a time I was stuck in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, we landed and they said, ah, you can't make it. Here's the hotel. We'll give you a food thing. We had to stay at the Howard Johnson's. Yes, they were still open then. And uh, I remember there were two police officers sitting in the restaurant as I was eating. And I went up to them and said, hey, how you doing, officers? I was wondering uh, in this area if there's a place to go. You know, I'm here for the night. I got to catch a flight in the morning. Uh, I'm flying into Detroit in the morning. Is there a place where, you know, like a bar, somebody can go to to drink? At that time, I was still partying and uh, single. And uh, the one police officer goes, well, uh, there's one bar around the corner we get called to all the time. But there's another one. I went, no, that's good. You get called to that one all the time? That's the one I'm going to. Thank you. And he, <laughs> both of them were like, oh boy. Okay, see you later. <laughs> and there's, I, I'm not even going to go into any more of that story, but just know that Thanksgiving weekend is a nightmare to travel. And uh, you're lucky if you make it there on time, which obviously some people are smart and leave early and don't leave on, I don't know, Thanksgiving Eve and hope to arrive Thanksgiving Eve evening. And be able to spend the day with whoever you want to spend the day with on Thanksgiving because that's not going to happen. You're going to be stuck in Atlanta. You're going to be stuck in Charlotte. You're going to be stuck at DFW because the connecting flight. Don't forget, in today's world, with a snowstorm shuts down one airport, domino effect. They're all shut down. Oh, no. Oh, we'll connect. No, we can't do that. We can't get you another flight. Sorry, that's it. We're just shutting them down. Okay. Okay. So... Since it's, uh, you know, travel weekend, I thought maybe I'd do a, you know, like a Chewing the Fat Merv Griffin theme show. Now, those of you that don't know, I know you're thinking, Merv who? Merv Griffin. He's an old TV star. He did, he created all these game shows. He was big Vegas. He owned, uh, I forget, I think he owned one or two Vegas hotels at one time. He ran, owned all these TV shows and he used to do a little, the Merv Griffin show where he would have guests come in it's just a daytime show but he would do his merv griffin theme weeks where it was the same thing all week long and he'd have a special guest you know like uh, sly stone would be there all week and every day sly would roll out his you know another wheel of wardrobe uh whatever and so this is uh, just kind of my merv griffin theme travel show 
And I feel like this story, I see this story this morning and I thought, oh, it's so nice. And then I feel like every holiday, this same story makes the rounds. So I don't think it's real. So a woman standing in line at an airport witnessed a heartbreaking moment, but no one expected what to happen next. A gentleman was checking in for his flight when the agent asked how old his daughter was. He said she had recently turned two. The agent then asked if she had a ticket. The man, confused because he was under the impression she could ride for free. When he booked the ticket, she was one. That was in January. The man overwhelmed with emotion as he couldn't afford the high cost of the second ticket for his young daughter. He stepped aside, tried to make a few phone calls, hugging his daughter, grabbing his head. You could tell he was heartbroken. Suddenly, a stranger approached, the emotional father. After talking with her for a while, she went to the ticket counter and pointed at the young girl and said, I want to buy her ticket. Now, the agent, who, again, I want to say is okay that the airline did this, but she's just doing her job. She realized, um, you know, uh, you know you're going to have to pay a, a last-minute ticket on the flight is really expensive, $749. Uh, would you think maybe the agent would say, maybe we could help you out a little bit. She sees the dad and the kid, but no. No. The agent said, you are aware that the flight's going to be $749, unfazed. The woman pulled out her credit card and paid full price. The agent kept talking about her goosebumps while the man hugged the woman and asked for her name to repay her. The woman just kept saying, don't worry about it. She wanted to help the man and his daughter no matter what the cost. Please share this story because people like this need to be recognized. Yeah, that's what I think. You know what? This story gets around every holiday. Same story. Guaranteed. I'm going to do some research. I'm telling you. On Friday's show, the day after Thanksgiving, I'm going to find all the stories that have run over the years. I bet you this is this is the same story that's running at least four or five years in a row. Now, it might be a, a mother and a baby. You know, all you have to do is change the, the parent and the child. right? This is a dad and his daughter. A mom and a baby that just turned two. Uh, a mom who uh, was trying to get home and realized that uh, you had the, this airline in particular didn't let kids fly for free. She had to buy the extra ticket. Same thing. I'm telling you. I'm telling you it's run before. And, and, okay, so I feel good. Good for the lady for spending the $749. i am I'm looking at the guy going, man, sucks to be you. <laughs> you know, just tell your daughter it's the way life is, all right? Get over it. Just teasing. Stop it. Of course you'd buy the guy a ticket, right? And then tell the airline uh, agent said 750 bucks. Whoa. Man, I'll tell you what I'll do. If I could, if you could talk the agent down to maybe three, I'll pay for it for you. But that's it. At 749, the kid's not going. Neither are you. It's just the way it goes. So anyway, travel is the theme. And I'll let you know on, uh, on the story about the people helping out the, the parents and the kid. Yes, I'll even do a little research on Thanksgiving. There's a little bit of downtime between desserts. You know, Thanksgiving used to be, nah, I don't want to even get into Thanksgiving. Just know that it's a great day and you're going to enjoy the turkey and the stuffing and the dressing and the green bean casseroles and the mashed potatoes and the gravy and the rolls and whatever else you've got. 
Um, so, and we're going to talk. I saw a story the other day that talked about uh, uh, side dishes, what parts of the country. You can tell what people, part of the country people are from by the side dishes on the Thanksgiving story. We've got to do that because uh, it was fascinating to me to see what other parts of the country, you know, are there strong side dishes on Thanksgiving? It's so different. So, so weird. So here's a story about uh, travel that you either love or you hate. Um, A man... um, Requested a window seat, but he ended up sitting next to a blank wall on the on the plane, and he was all wound up about it. And so, when the flight attendant came around, he was complaining and said, "I want to be moved to a window seat. I would like a window seat." Well, so does everyone else, douche. So calm down. But the flight attendant left without arguing with the guy, and uh, ran back and taped a drawing of a window on the wall <laughs> next to the guy. And it's got little clouds and blue water on it. It's kind of funny. Now, if I'm that guy, I guess I laugh. You know, that, that's ha-ha, you're funny. And it's, you know, people, of course, it's gone crazy on social media. And, uh, you know, people love the idea of the flight attendant drawing the picture and taping it up on the wall and say, you wanted a window seat, here's your window. And uh, it's kind of funny. On the other hand, if you're flying, do you, you know, do you think it's funny? You, know, you really wanted a window seat, and they're gonna, the flight attendant is gonna tape a picture on the wall. If you were to do something just the opposite of that to the flight attendant, would the flight attendant think it was funny? I'm trying to think of what it would be because flight attendants have very little humor in today's world. Very little humor. Like the paraplegic athlete forced to urinate in a bottle on a seven-hour flight. The paraplegic athlete was criticized uh, airplane flying Dubai, uh, humiliating him after he was forced to urinate in a bottle on an intercontinental flight. Uh, He flew to Finland to represent Australia in the World Para Ice Hockey Champions. Good for him. The 52-year-old boarded a flight to Helsinki from Dubai. Approximately three hours into the flight, he inquired about a wheelchair as he needed to use the toilet. Now, they know, and people should know, that they don't put wheelchairs on the flight. Those go underneath. You take the wheelchair up to the plane, and then you get in, or they wheel you in, but the wheelchair goes off. So there's no wheelchair. And they said, we don't carry one on board. They told me I just had to hold it for the entire flight. Um, No. He even said, I'd like to see someone else who's had a big cup of coffee after three hours. Uh, No. To his amazement, the flight attendants provided him with an empty plastic bottle so he could urinate while seated. (laughs) But then, on top of that, to make it worse, they gave him a blanket to cover himself, but they wanted to charge him for the blanket. That's when I think as as embarrassing as it is, you just urinate on the seat, right? Then they've got to take care of it. I know that's a that's not a good way to think of it. Uh, it's not a thing to do, but you just you just urinate on the seat and say, "Oops, sorry, 
we're done. Now, a staff member contacted uh, the team in Dubai and told them that the chair had not made it on the plane as there was no room for it in the hold. Um, It's not a bag. I can understand bags being left behind. It's a wheelchair. So not only did they not bring it on board for him and have him where he was able to use it on the plane, which, you know, okay, yes or no. But then they left it behind at the airport. It doesn't even travel along with it. I mean, the guy is traveling with the World Para Ice Hockey Championship team. Do you think maybe, maybe they all had wheelchairs? Do you think maybe? Just a little? And Christian, you're dying to say something, so go ahead. That was Christian Bustler giving his expert advice on sled hockey on the chewing the fat paraplegic plane coverage. Furious plane passenger, as we move on to our theme, our travel theme day, uh, furious plane passenger sets fire to his own luggage after being told his flight was canceled. If you're setting your own luggage on fire because they tell you <laughs> your flight is canceled, that's just dumb. That's just dumb. If you think that'll show them, I'll teach them a lesson. I'll burn my own luggage. That doesn't work that way. Really doesn't work that way. Now, he was delayed a couple of times and he got really angry. And I can understand the frustration. But why would you set your own luggage on fire? Maybe you, I don't know, grab somebody else's luggage, set theirs on fire. Maybe, maybe you grab, I don't know, you see the pilot walking by with his little pull bag. Oh, then you're, then you're going to prison. You might probably go to prison for uh, setting a luggage on fire, too. Uh, now, they... They opted to forgive and forget the incident. That does not happen. Now, this, let's see. Uh, no airline can risk having uh, It's the PIA, the Civil Aviation Authorities. Um, PIA, which is the Pakistan International Airline, PIA has opted to forgive and forget the incident. Pakistan was like, the guy said his, the guy set his own luggage on fire. Just let him go. Don't worry about it. Sorry, sir. All flights are canceled for the rest of your life. Get out of the airport. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. In America, you're not, we're not, we're not letting that go. I'm sorry. That is not happening in America. You got lucky being on Pakistan for that. Yeah. The, you're done. TSA's got, it's over. Have a nice day. No, that's, uh, security, we've got uh, the man that set his luggage on fire. He's walking down, uh, he's on airside B, airside B, black shirt, two luggage. Perhaps we escort him out of the airlines. I mean, they're on him. There's no way he gets back in. No way. Now, you know that airlines uh, pay. That's what they do. They pay to be at airports. They make deals with the airports. It's a separate entity. They all try to, you know, wheel and deal the best deals. That's why you have hubs 
American Airlines here in Dallas. Southwest is at love because they can't. They made a deal. They can, they can fly into DFW now because their old deal just expired. But there for a while, they couldn't even fly into DFW because they make deals with airports. So in Paris, uh, Ryanair uh, goes to take off. They're at airside. They're going to take off. And uh, so there's 149 passengers boarding the plane. Getting on. We've got, the, we got everybody on board, ready to go. And um, the plane is still at the still at the gate, just kind of hanging out, getting ready to back out, ready to go. We're looking at we're looking down at the tarmac. We're looking at the guys with the lights, ready to back up. Let's go. Let's get out of here. Ah, ah, ooh, no, 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 no. Um, the police pulled up. The airport police, by the way, pulled up. Uh, we're shutting it down, and we're taking the plane. You for didn't pay? You haven't been paying your rent here at Paris Airport. Uh, no, you guys, uh, we're not flying out of here anymore. We're taking it down. That is, how mad would you be on that plane? Wow. Now, of course, the airline. We didn't publicly comment on the seizure. No, but we're sorry. Uh, we go ahead. We paid the bill, and uh, just pay the bill. You know they're going to pay the bill. They have to, right? There's no, there's no way. Um, they paid the bill, and the air airline, the airport went. Okay, here's your plane. Thank you, but you're you're screwed, right? You're looking for another way to get to wherever you want to go, and you're not waiting around for. Hey, dear, hashtag Ryan Air, pay the bill, right? I want I want to go to I want to go to a Rome. My, they confiscated the plane, uh, or I, and they didn't even. I mean, they could have. They could have done it before, right? The airline could have done it. Just canceled the flight. You know, uh, this flight is not leaving today. You're canceled. Get another flight. Boom. And so, not made a big deal about it. But they made sure that it was full. People were all on board on the tarmac, getting ready to go. Nope. We're taking the plane. Everybody off. Here's your luggage. We'll get that to you in the next couple hours when we take stuff off the plane. But this plane is going nowhere until Ryanair pays pays their 525,000 euros, which is about $610,000 to the airport. Man, I would be so angry. So angry. Another way people travel is on cruise ships. Why, you ask? I don't know. You see some of the newer cruise ships they have. I mean, they are they are cities. I mean, they're just monstrous. You see them come in, even some of the newer ones. I mean, they. In, when I was living in Florida, you know, they have the cruise ships come in uh, in Miami on the uh, southeast coast and across the way in uh, Cape Canaveral. But they wanted to have them come into Tampa Bay. But the original Skyway Bridge that went across from Pinellas County to Bradenton, I'm not sure if that's Sarasota County or not. I don't remember. I apologize for not knowing the county. Um, wouldn't let those big ones in. They let the, the worker ships, you know, the container hauler ships in, but it wouldn't let the cruise ships in because the cruise ships are, you know, mountain sizes. So that's why they built the new Skyway Bridge so high. So they would allow those cruise ships in. And they are some monsters coming in, man. 
when you're up there on that bridge or out there watching those cruise ships come in or you go down to the docks and watch them load up. I mean, they're loading up pallets of food and drink. It's, it's fascinating. Well, now, and now how much, I mean, I know that they do their best to keep everyone safe. I know they do their best that they don't, you know, they don't want people to get sick, to keep it clean. And we joke around about being, you know, in a, in an enclosed space, you can't get off. But the thing is a size of a mountain. You know, you could, one day you're down in a one, you could spend your whole time on different parts of that ship and not be the same ship twice, the same part twice. So you, you, while you can't get off, it's pretty, they're huge. But how many times, how many times has something bad happened? And now we've got another 2,700 passengers stranded in Puerto Rico. Ooh. I mean, there's better places. There's better places to be stranded than Puerto Rico. So Norwegian Jade cruise ship uh, started uh, their voyage out of Miami, a 10-day cruise, uh, taking Barbados, uh, St. Kitts, St. Lucia, but uh, all of a sudden, <laughs> mechanical problems. And uh, new, the next seven days of this trip is canceled. We're not going anywhere. <laughs> Drop the anchors. <laughs> Done. Over. Drop the anchor. Come on. I mean, that's better than people are getting sick. Stop eating and we're going to dock. Or that's better than being just floating out in the middle of nowhere, stranded without being able to. Remember, the, I mean, we've had ships just floating around out there. Holy cow, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> All you can eat is now closed. I mean, that's what they're doing out there. You, you eat, drink, and gamble, right? That's what you do. And I get the enjoyment, I guess. And they have, it's, they have uh, entertainment and you swim and, you know, you have an idea of. See, the thing is, is even on these ships, right? I mean, you want to be able to have a room that's not with the unwashed masses down below. You want to be able to have the rooms up top that are the suites, and you're able to have a window, and you're able to, you know, you're able to have a, a little uh, a patio that comes out, and you open out and look out the ocean and enjoy it. Otherwise, you're down, you know, you're down with the unwashed masses, and you don't want to be that on those ships. If you're down with the unwashed masses in some small room, you maybe have a little porthole to look out. Nobody wants that. Now it has. Double occupancy, right? Capacity of over 2,400 people. So there's 2,700. So they could actually could have been more. It has got 93,500 gross ton. I mean, they are pulling, they are putting some serious weight on that bad boy. And that's, that's even without me on there. I can't do a cruise. I can't. I can tell you a story about we used to go out on these gambling, they had these gambling ships when I, a long time ago in radio, they did, you know they want to promote their ship. They in, uh, it, was in, it was in Tampa Bay, so coming out of Treasure Island, Florida, they have these gambling, and they're not ships, but they're large boats. 
but you go out and they can't gamble till they get out in international waters. So what they do is they get all the people on and they give them all they can eat, a big buffet. They bring in mediocre talent to entertain the people out on the way out to international waters, and of which I was one. And you get up and you say a couple of jokes and you ha ha ha. And you know you're from the radio station and you give them hellos and you pass out a few giveaways and you have a couple of little funny contests and then you're in international waters and nobody cares because we want to gamble. Well. You spend the night, you're trapped, right? As as a radio guy, you want to get in, do your bit, and get out. That's the deal, right? But not then, not those Friday nights. Friday and Saturday nights, you're out there, you get on the boat, but you do it because it's, it's good money. It's good money, and it's cash. I mean, obviously, you report it to the IRS. That would be stupid not to. But you get in and out. But you go out, you do your thing, then you just got to wait. Then you're just wandering around, watching people gamble. You can gamble, but I, I'm not a big, I don't want to lose what money I'm making playing play blackjack out in the international waters. So you wander around, you meet people, you say hello. But I mean, I saw some great, some of the best. Okay, so what happens is people get on and they eat this huge buffet and they fill up on all this seafood, this huge free buffet. They get out there in the international waters, and that boat, even just the big boat, is still, you're in the water, you're in the ocean. People turn green. People turn white. People turn, yeah, I mean, and they uh, tend to, um, the food that they ate tends to come out. And I mean, you, the, the workers are, code green, level three, code green, level three. And I saw some of the best projectile vomiting ever ever on these nights and it does what happens is is then like you walk you walk around outside and then you go back inside to their inside bars and all the inside bars then once you've been outside smelling the the fresh salt sea air out in the gulf of mexico you come back inside and the whole inside still has that that whiff of puke you know what it is it's not bad it's not bad and if you if you if you haven't been if you're coming in just from the street, you don't really notice it because the food's cooking and people are drinking and laughing. But if you once everybody's outside, there's just a couple people in there, and you've been outside and your nostrils are clear, and you come back inside to sit down, and it just has that, just that whiff, whiff of ooh, that's puke. But then they dock and they give you your cash money and you walk away and you're gone. See you next week. All right, don't forget that you can get a Chewing the Fat coffee mug. And it's it's a tremendous coffee. I mean, you don't find coffee mugs made this good and look this beautiful anywhere else but shop.theblaze.com. Now, you can get T-shirts, and you can get all kinds of stuff from the other shows and the network on shop.theblaze.com. But really... The uh, making of Chewing the Fat with Jeff Fisher coffee mug is probably one of the finest things developed and sold on the website. Chewing the Fat with Jeff Fisher coffee mug at shop.theblaze.com. Thank you so much for listening to uh, Chewing the Fat. Don't forget to uh, subscribe, uh, rate, and review. I know you're busy, but just do it quick. Quick like a rabbit. Just uh, rate and review it. And if you don't, you don't even have to think about it. You know what you should do? is just rate it 20 stars, review it the best podcast ever, and then you're done. 
That way you don't have to think about it. You don't have to try to don't you don't waste a lot of your time. I want you to I want you to be able to fulfill other other duties you have. So you listen to the podcast, you subscribe, you rate it 20 stars, you review it best podcast ever and you're done. Well, then you can share it. I mean, okay, so you're not 100% done. You can share it with, you know, friends, family. In fact, really, we're coming up on Thanksgiving. I mean, what you really should do is pass out a little note under the plate of everyone that says, Chewing the Fat with Jeff Fisher, subscribe, rate 20 stars, review best podcast ever, share with the first person on your email list, and then you're done. And that's all you need to do for me. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So, uh, Scott Adams uh, wanted to stop in. He's got his new uh, he's got his new book uh, out that was just released in paperback again. Uh, and uh, we talked to him when it was released uh, in hardcover. And uh, you know, so since we talked to him when it was in hardcover, <laughs> he comes back and wants to talk again because it's in paperback. Okay, Scott, I got it. Okay, get your little funny paper thing happening. With uh, Engelbert Humperdinck, I mean Dilbert, eh, same thing. Dilbert, Engelbert Humperdinck, I mean he could have called it either one. But <laughs> I love Scott. Uh, at Scott Adams says, Scott, you've got uh, you know the bestseller uh, "Win Bigly" now in paperback, so you're out hawking that again. Although you've added some new some new words to it, the new afterword, which is which is always nice to give people uh, something new to uh, look forward to. But you know, one of the things that I think is my favorite part of "Win Bigly" is the uh, you know you talk about the um, your your words linguistic skills. Uh, you know how Trump branded his opponents those opponents are still i mean that brand is not going away it affects them to this day does it not yeah it's it's something that's going to haunt them forever i started calling those linguistic kill shots at first because that's what they did but then i started calling later i started calling them forever names because (laughs) they don't go away boy that is for sure but you know, there's there's something even bigger than that that just happened when the president tweeted about the North Korean missile sites that are still fussing around, and I think it was the New York Times, or I think it was the New York Times, who had uh, reported that this was a clear violation and showing that North Korea wasn't really serious about denuclearizing, and the president labeled it fake news and said, "We knew about those. It's just normal business. Right. We don't have a deal yet." And I realized that the The power of that phrase, fake news, which the president didn't invent, but he weaponized it and made it a part of daily life. He sure did. Look at at the difference between the Iraq war buildup, where reports of weapons of mass destruction were assumed to be accurate. And now the president has so changed our our frame of reference that one, one reference in a tweet to that being fake news takes at least half of the public out of that conversation because they say, oh, yeah, that does look like fake news to me. We don't have to go to war with North Korea. Uh, Look how powerful that is. I mean, literally could keep us away from nuclear war with two words. And he employed that power today. And and that's and that's 
really, I mean, that's huge. There's no question about that. And think of that. You know, I was like, <laughs> you talk about the Iraq War. That brings flooding memories back of uh, Colin Powell in front of the UN with his cartoon drawings talking about where the where the bombs were. I was just so frustrating. Anyway, I almost wish we would have had fake news back then, although it needed to happen. I know. I mean, that's a whole other argument. I got it. But uh, so how is how is uh, Win Bigley? Where are we at? Are we are we the world's biggest selling book right now ever? I'm going to call it the most influential book in the United States right now. I and I think it. actually that's true. It has more to do with the who is reading it and how they're changing their behavior and how they see the world differently than it has to do with the number of sales. Because you know, there, there's X number of people in the country who decide how everybody else thinks. Yeah. And everybody else thinks they're making decisions, but they're really they're really just adopting the opinions of their favorite news channels, and they just feel like it was their own decision. But the, yeah. the decision makers, all the major networks follow me now, all the producers, uh, uh, right or much of the administration follows me now. And you can see a lot of language and framing and things that I introduced in Win Bigley are, no, are now just part of the common conversation. Well, listen, you, you uh, became... Uh well-known and famous as the creator of Dilbert. Uh, that will forever be, uh, you know, a, a trademark on you. Maybe maybe the maybe the, the front chest uh, uh, tattoo will be Dilbert. But, uh, you know, this then uh, now you've, you know, you've reinvented again as, uh, you know, Scott Adams with Win Bigley. Uh, you're doing, I, I don't know if you're doing it uh, daily, but certainly, uh, uh very you know multiple times a week on your periscope chats uh and which is you know obviously people are following and uh using your words as you said and really that follows uh, i know that you're uh, uh you're attributed as to quoting uh, creativity is allowing yourself to make mistakes but art is knowing which ones to keep and that's really i mean that's huge right i mean you have to know well listen this is going to work and and i believe that it's going to work so this is the direction we're going yeah, I think one of the, the biggest changes of behavior uh, that could be useful in the world is just understanding that if there's if you disagree on a big topic, like, well, what should we do on this big national topic? Should we do A or B? If you're asking that question, should we do it, yes or no, you're already thinking poorly. Because the real question is, is there a way to test it small and then find out if it works or not? Because if you can test it, and a lot of people who are smarter think it at least has some potential, you, you should not be a yes-no question. You should be testing right. small wherever you can on the big issues. So that, that's the sort of change I think we're going to see the, uh, the country moving toward. It's already the most common thing that businesses do. They ask right. that question, can we test this small? And they would never proceed unless, you know, without at least asking that question first. Yeah, I mean, we, we have to do that. I mean, I, I saw that you uh, tweeted a story this morning, which I found fascinating, uh, about the uh, portable MRIs. And I don't know if you ever read yeah. the story or you just thought it was fascinating, so you retweeted it. I know that happens to me often as well. I just haven't gotten around to reading it yet, but I retweet it. Um, but I did read it, and it is fascinating. And you know, amazingly, before it's uh, you be before you're able to pick it up at your local Walgreens, they're testing it. <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, that's just one sliver of the things that are happening. Right. So the pri- private industry is looking at this big healthcare, you know, behemoth of of expenses and. They're saying, well, here's a big expense. I'll bet I could cut that by 90%. So 
uh, for a while I was working with uh, UC Berkeley on some of their startups, and I got to see a lot of stuff before the public sees it. You know, it's so things cool. that are just yeah. an early stage. And the number of medical breakthroughs that are coming through, for example, the ability to test your blood, you know, with just a small tabletop adv- uh, device yeah. and get an instant result is something you could never do before. And with more uh, than, and really just to, just to pause w- where you were at, I don't want you, to, I want you to continue, but just to pause where you're at, really more than just diabetes. I mean, the tests are, you know, are fascinating. You can learn so much about yourself with that one drop. Yeah, now there's a an app or a, at least a, an add-on device with an app that you can test your, you can do an, uh, is it a EKG? Yeah, you can do an yeah. EKG just by putting your thumbs on this little device you, you yeah. buy through the mail. So there's more and more of that stuff coming on, and I, I'm actually speculating there's something like a health plan for people who don't have money is being sort of assembled by a lot of different actors pursuing their own interests, but in the end, you're going to say, well, I think I need to get this kind of a test. Oh, I can get that for 50 bucks. Right. So I think everything's changing, and there's nobody in charge of it, which is why it doesn't get as much attention. It's really, it's really strange. Now, maybe you and I should just open up a, you know, a, a shop in the garage with our, uh, you know, the mini MRIs and the blood tests, and we just bring them over for 20 or 30 bucks a pop. You know, I... Uh, at the minimum, there should be a website that's collecting all this information so that you can see what's what's coming on board and how that's going to influence things and how do you get one now. So you know, in the, you know, we already are uh, concerned, obviously, about great about uh, everyone's health, and you know, while we're talking about uh, you know more and more businesses putting uh, uh, the. Uh, the mark of the devil, the beast, uh, you know, just putting a little implant in us. But, uh, you know, that's going to be hard to stop uh, when it's when it's presented as for your safety, for your children's safety. It's going to be tough to stop that. Yeah, I've I've said quite provocatively. And so far, I think zero people agree with me on this point. That's that's why I like saying it is that uh, <laughs> we see privacy as a feature and something we want. But, you know, we also want a lot of things that are bad for us. No doubt about you know, we, that. We, we want to not go to the dentist, et cetera. And I think one of the biggest problems in the world is that people think privacy is essential. And it probably is in certain areas and for certain people and, and, and the like. But if you imagine, for example, uh, I was talking about this this morning uh, on my Periscope. Imagine if you could say to people, for this group of people, if you voluntarily give up your health care privacy. We won't attach your name to your actual data, but, you know, there's always a risk that somebody will sure, hack it and figure out how to do yeah. that. If you'll take that risk and we can have all your data and you can have instruments on you and you measure stuff, we will learn so much about yeah. the 5% who willingly gave up their privacy, or at least the risk of privacy, that it will help the other, the rest of the people tremendously because we'll know what works, what doesn't, what makes a difference, and, what doesn't. And you're doing it. You're doing it for either you know for free with you know for the healthcare or for the healthcare and some sort of uh, some sort of payment. And you're able to then again still feel better that you're doing something for the greater good. I, I mean, I I may be willing to be that five percent. You know. 
Yeah, because it's not really giving away your health care right. privacy. You're just taking a risk that's a little bit bigger. And we've already, yeah. look, we've already given it up. Right? We're, I we're, mean, exactly. We, we already have. We, look, I, you know, I realize that I have the choice to say no to taking a picture with the app that wants all my information on my phone. But really, I just want to take the stupid picture. So if you want to look at what other stuff I'm taking pictures of, go ahead. Well, you may have noticed that any big crime gets solved 100% of the time. Have you noticed that? If the crime is big enough, meaning that we put enough resources on it, between the fact that we can DNA everything, we can fingerprint right. from a quarter of a fingerprint, we've got uh, yeah, we're pretty good cameras at it now. everywhere. Yeah, we're pretty good we at know, it now. We know, we know where everybody's been and what everybody yeah. said and all of their friends said. Crime is basically all solvable now. It's just a question of expense, right? And look, we've we're, we we and again, you know, we've already given up so much of our privacy just for uh, you know our own personal safety, right? I mean, you you where we expect it almost in our homes, yet we let <laughs> we let the companies in our home now too. We've given it up there. It's amazing. Yeah, I've I've argued that privacy is um, maybe is our biggest problem that we think is our biggest you know benefit. For example. If you look at the arc of uh, gay rights, the biggest uh, the biggest breakthrough in you know gays finally you know, getting to marry and do whatever right, they wanted right. was was coming out. So giving up their privacy willingly is what allowed them to to be politically uh, effective and, and accepted. Yeah, yeah. and and I th- I think that that. Um, you know, when you you willingly give up your privacy on stuff like I'll give you another example. Here's 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 one that will cure five percent of your listeners right now from a major problem. Watch this. Okay. I, I personally have a medical condition called pyresis, which is an inability to urinate in a public setting if there's anybody around. Okay. Now now simply telling you that giving up my privacy as I just did, five percent of your listeners just said, "Holy cow." I didn't know there was one other person who had that. I thought I had a mental problem. It's the biggest problem I have in my life, and it is for those people. And simply hearing that it's a thing and it has a name, you can look for it as shy bladder. You'll find that lots of people have it. And just that knowledge, just that knowledge alone is enough to half cure everybody who hears this. And at least feel, you know, right, they're, they're, they're not alone. They're not alone, alone. and, and, and they can deal with it, you know, by coming out and by just you know treating it like they don't have to hide it right it makes it 50 percent better on day one huge no question so uh if i want to get uh win bigly do i need to stop by your house and pick it up or can i get it someplace else you can get it wherever they sell fine books <laughs> Every, everywhere in the world and in lots of foreign countries at this point so at scott adams says uh we can look forward you've already you've done uh, your daily periscope today already uh you've, you've so you're yep. done for the day? You're good? You're putting your feet up? Well, I was thinking about jumping in with another one. You know, I've got I've got <laughs> cartoons to write. I've got another book I'm working on. I'm a busy so guy. What uh, what uh, what cartoons are you working on? Well, I'm, I'm just working on more Dilbert comics. Okay. Uh, so are and is, are we still syndicated with that? I mean, I, I don't I, I'm, I know that sounds dumb. Of course, yeah. Gilbert Dilbert is everywhere. But I mean, are you still doing a daily syndication of that? Yeah, it's uh, it's bigger than it's ever been thanks oh, to the internet. Oh, so I mean, the, that's amazing. I, so I, the, I've, the funny the funny thing is that as the number of papers cut in half, 
um, my circulation didn't change at all because usually there were two papers in the town. Right. And if if one of them went out of business, the other paper said, the other hey, they had Gilbert. Now we, now we can have it. Right. That's fantastic. I mean, that's great. How, um, how long did it take you to get that up and selling so people saw it and felt comfortable with it? You know, was it, was it, uh, did you have to go out and hawk separate newspapers for three or four years, or did you? How'd that work for you? So, so the way syndication works is that the big break for a cartoonist like like me is you get a contract with a syndication company, and then they do all the selling and marketing and distribution, so that you can just concentrate on making comics, and then you split the money. So, I got that contract in 1989. That's when it launched. Um, but it didn't, it wasn't successful for the first few years. It wasn't even close to successful until I started running my email address in the margins of the comic. And this was back when email was kind of new <laughs> yeah. and, and people would write to me and they'd say, you know, we kind of like your comic a little bit, but when he's in the office doing office stuff, we love those. So I changed the comic cause it was such a good oh, there you go. feedback. And that's when it, it got a brand and you could talk about it as like, oh, that's the workplace comic. And it turns out that with comics, if you can't describe it that quickly, Garfield, it's a cat, you know, uh, right. you know, Kathy, neurotic uh, single woman. So you need to be able to describe <laughs> it that clearly to really get an audience. I mean, that's that's fantastic. Scott, thank you so much. I'll let you go. And as you said, I know you're a busy man. So uh, at Scott Adams says, when Bigley... If I stop by the house, though, I mean, could I pick up a copy? Or Oh, yeah, the door's unlocked. <laughs> Scott, thank you very much, man. I appreciate it. All right, it. thank you. 